Welcome to Parallel Leaders. Every week, we come alongside you and focus on eight growth points to address the obstacles holding you back. Not only do you need to grow as a leader, but your team, your systems, your numbers, your finances, the expectations, the facilities, and your culture must grow. If you target and evaluate your organization, leadership, or department under the microscope of these eight growth points, you will optimize your effectiveness as a leader. And today's podcast is all about equipping you with the tools and conversations you need to move forward. So let's go. What do you see? Uh, You know, what your perspective on things makes a huge difference. And we're going to talk a little bit about this for a few minutes as a leader. Again, in the context of you're all, if you're not leading now, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be leading. Mindsets are really important as you lead. The way that you think, the way you frame, the way you think about the people that you lead, uh, it really does drive what we do. So how we lead our people, the way we think about them, ultimately derives how we interact with them and the actions that we take. You've heard these kind of studies before, right? It's like they get, teachers don't like this. I don't know, I'm picking on teachers today. Um, you know, there's these, these studies where they'll, they tell, they have the same group of kids, and they tell one group of teachers, they say, you know, this is like our top class. These people are amazing. Um, you're going to love teaching them. And they go in and they teach them, and like kids do an amazing job. Or they tell another set of people that they're testing, and they say, yeah, this is like a terrible class. And they're like, they don't know anything. They're like really rude and, you know, they don't behave well and all that. And the teacher goes in and that's what happens. And shocker, it's the same group of kids that they've set the mindset between the two, you know, sets of teachers. And why is that? You know, I think our mindset, the way we approach our people, the way we approach our teams is critically important. So mindsets drive what we do. Uh, what we do shapes the culture of who we are. So, so when you think about as a leader, this is why being a leader is, uh, it can be a little bit scary because, you know, the way we think ultimately drives our behavior, drives how we interact with people. Then as leaders, the way we interact with people ultimately defines the culture that we're, you know, that we're in, that it, it, um, you know, the, 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 the way we interact with our folks ultimately sets the pace for who they are. And then finally, last slide, you know, and culture eats whatever strategy you have for lunch. So at the end of the day, the culture of Parallel Church, like, it, it's paramount. Like, it, when people come here, and I love that this morning, it's like, wow, we're doing all kinds of stuff out in the world around us, and eventually people will show up here, and they'll see it. When they arrive here, the culture... What they experience, who the, and, and culture can be like, it's like trying to jail, uh, nail jello to the wall. Like the, the, the experience of, of kind of them arriving and being here uh, on your teams, interacting with your people is way more important. That culture is way more important than whatever you're doing. And you know this. Like let's say, let's say you're, you run, is there anybody in the guest services team here? Any guest services people? First of all, I love the guest services people. Whoop, whoop, they're good people. Um, you can tell guest services, the strategy for guest services can be stand here, this is the spot you stand in, uh, you hand out, well, you used to, remember you used to have bulletins, I don't, we don't do that anymore, but stand here, like be nice to people, hand out coffee. You can give them the strategy, this is the job, but you know, if you don't, if the person that's handing out the coffee doesn't have the culture, it isn't kind of who we are, it does not matter what you put on the checklist for handing out the, the, the coffee, it will not be a great experience. That's just true, right? 
Or it's like, um, you know, I love the Cinderella project that you guys did. That's like heartbreaking, like in a beautiful way. Like, man, that's amazing, right? You can tell the person, here's the checklist. When you interact with a student and you're trying to figure out, okay, how can we help them? Here are the 12 things to say to them. But you know, if the person doesn't have the culture right, if they're, if they're not kind of a parallel person, and you know what those people are, you kind of reach them, you're like, oh, that's a parallel person. If they're not that person, that engagement will not go well. The terrifying thing about all of that, if all of this is true, then our mindset, how we think about how we engage with our people is going to ultimately trickle out and spill out into the behavior of how we end up interacting with the world around us. That is a terrifying thought. This is not one of those encouraging things. This is one of those like, oh my goodness, I need to think very carefully about this uh, as a leader. This is one of those reasons why I think practically in the New Testament it talks about how, hey, none, you should not presume to be a teacher because like, there will be bigger judgment for those people who are teachers. So like Pastor Kelly and you know all of your pastoral team, like they, they're, they should take that, and I know they do, they, they should take that very seriously. And part of the reason why, part of the functional reason why that is, I think, is because of this. It's actually our leaders, the way they think, uh, ultimately trickles out and becomes, you know, the culture. And if, that's, if it's misaligned there, then super negative things have happened. And I don't have to give you negative examples of that, because you know that. You know there have been, you know, religious movements, spiritual things that have gone sideways, because really at the, you know, at the back, you know, behind all that is, is bad mindset. So I want to talk about um, this idea of growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Um, so um, there was this study done a number of years ago um, by a woman by the last name of Duckworth um, called Grit. Has anyone read this book? Some people would know this is a, the, the popular version was called Grit. Okay, but I'm going to introduce you to it, which is amazing. Let's go to the... And she found this interesting idea, um, which, which uh, has been talked about in a bunch of other contexts, this idea between growth mindset and fixed mindset. So a, a people with a fixed mindset, that those people, their orientation to the world is that when I fail, um, that it will limit uh, you know, my ability. So if things go, uh, they say, the reason why it's called fixed is because they believe that kind of their abilities are fixed, that they're, you know, they're kind of are as they are. Their potential is predetermined. Um, you know, they, they kind of are who they are. They're not going to develop and, and grow. They're not going to become new. They are, um, you know, they're, they're kind of come out of the womb at, with all the potential they have, and they're not going to grow as people. Some of the other things that people want with a fixed mindset, they'll say stuff like, I stick to what I know. So I like, I do my thing and I never, you know, go forward. My abilities are unchanging. I'm either good at it or I'm not. Now, the interesting thing is fixed mindset, this idea of having a fixed mindset can come across, um, and I think sometimes in the church world, it can come across in, like, subtle ways that actually um, maybe sound even spiritual, but but are actually undermining our ability to lead. So, you know, it could be, th- it could come across, fixed mindset could come across, with this idea of like, I just am who I am. Like, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Like, I, you know, I'm, I don't, you know, I don't need to be anybody different. I just, if I'm who God's made me. I'm an Enneagram 3, so stop bothering me. Um, or I'm an Enneagram 2, you know, that's just how twos work. Um, you know, there, there are stuck people. Now, growth mindset folks, growth mindset people say, hey, when challenges 
happen in my life, when something goes sideways, that helps me grow. They say, you know, they, when they think about feedback, they, they say, hey, I would love feedback because feedback helps me get better. Feedback is constructive. Growth mindset people say, I like to try new things. They say, I can learn and do anything I want. They are, uh, as the word says, they're growth-oriented. They're saying, hey, I, I can change and develop. Now, what we found over time is the kinds of leaders that will lead in a thriving movement are growth mindset versus fixed mindset people. People who have the most what uh, Angela Duckworth calls grit are folks that say that aren't phased by um, you know, negative things that come upon them. They just say like, oh, I, I'm going to learn from this. This is an opportunity for us to learn and grow. Now, why is this important for leading? It's critically important for leading because I think sometimes we approach our people with a fixed mindset which ultimately limits their ability. We, we actually impose on them smaller ideas. We, we took these same two heads, if you go to the and looked at it from a, a team leadership point of view. So um, if I'm thinking about it from uh, a, let's say I'm trying to recruit people, if, if, um, if I'm going out and... Uh, and I try to recruit people, a fixed mindset person says, I hate being rejected. Uh, if one more person says no to me, uh, they're, like, they're being you know, shut down. They're, they get shut down by that. A growth mindset leader says, they're not saying no to me. It's just a numbers game. Like, well, I'm going to go and talk to a bunch of people, and it's going to be okay. Some people aren't going to join my team. While other, you know, eventually, if I keep asking, eventually people will say uh, yes. When I think about recruiting on the team leadership side, if I have a fixed mindset, I'm sure none of you think this, but when you think about the people in your church, they would think, fixed mindset people would say, you know what, those people, they're just lazy, the people who do not volunteer. They look at them and say, they're just that way. They're labeling them. So they're saying, a fixed mindset person says, those people, there's like lazy people and non-lazy people. It's fixed. Uh, and so we, we look at people and we say, they're lazy, as opposed to saying, no, a growth mindset person says, it's our responsibility. They're just waiting for an invitation. If we, we'd have to frame the invitation in a right way, and eventually they'll uh, come on board. You know, a, a fixed mindset person, again, they look at other people and they have them, they kind of put them in a box. That's one way to think about fixed mindset. They would say, hey, if they cared, they'd volunteer. Like it basically, and you know, again, none of you would say this, but they'd be like, if those people really love Jesus, they would join a team. But that's, that's not how we want to approach them. A growth mindset person would say, they just don't understand the vision yet. It's our responsibility to clearly articulate to them, man, imagine the amazing things that God wants to do through Parallel Church. Why would you not want to jump on board with this? this is, and if they say no, it's like, well, we just got to do a better job at clearly clarifying with them, helping them understand uh, what that is all about. You know, a fixed mindset, there's an external locus of control with fixed mindset people. So they're always looking for someone else to solve their problems. Again, none of you would ever do this, but you'd say, if Pastor Kelly would just talk about my area from stage, then it would get fixed. Like, if he could just slip that into, like, could he just talk about why serving in kids ministry? Any kids ministry people here today? Yeah, there should be lots of you. Um, if he can just, maybe he could bring a child up on stage and say, man, like, well, don't you want to serve children? Um, but we know that that's not true. We know that, the, that again, th again, that's an external locus of control. Fixed mindset people say, hey, it's somebody else has got to solve this problem. I'm definitely not going to solve it. 
uh, growth mindset people say, hey, well, maybe it's just tapping a shoulder works best, like for recruiting. It's saying, hey, we're just going to keep talking to people. Hey, you, we'd love to have you involved in kids ministry. So how, how does that relate? So when, um, when I'm thinking about team leadership over the last, you know, over these last years, um, well, come on. Um, so let's go to the here, which is a simple question, which is, uh, how is your mindset at, uh, how is your mindset shaping the people that you're leading? So one of the takeaways we want us to think about today is, man, how are, the, how is the way I think about my people, how is that, um, how do I, am I framing this experience in such a way that ultimately people are attracted to it? Am I, am I, am I framing my leadership, am I framing my engagement with the people that I'm, in, uh, that I'm working with in a way that ultimately draws them? And, and using this framework, am I coming to that with from a growth mindset? I'm saying, hey, this is an incredible opportunity for the people around me, for them to engage. What can I do to shift my mindset away from fix? Where are those areas where I'm saying, oh, it's, it's, it's um, you know, I'm, I'm bringing a limiting idea to, I'm bringing limiting ideas to the, the table as opposed to growth ideas. And one of those things I would say is actually this, which is going to sound a little crazy because I know all of us need more people. Who would say on our team, you'd say, man, we could use some more people on our team. Or you, the people that don't have their hands up, that's amazing. I'm like, praise Jesus, you have enough people on your team. Or you're just waiting for the coffee break. It's one of those two. Um, we all need new people on our teams, right? We all need, we all wish there was more people, right? Like we, uh, and that's partly because we have a lot of ministry to do. But it's also because we know it's a great experience. We know that when our people come and serve, man, it's a transformational experience. But I'd like to postulate for a moment here that actually the best thing we can do when we, the way we think about our teams from a growth mindset point of view is actually to stop recruiting, stop recruiting and start retaining. That actually, rather than constantly looking to the people around us and saying, and looking and saying, we need to, we need to find four more people. I got to find four more people. What if we worked harder at making our experience so irresistible, making our service experience so irresistible that people will want to, that it literally will be attracted to your area? Because people will say, man, I don't know what's going on over there in the JK room. I don't know what areas we're talking about here. What, how do you describe your your kids that are like young kids. What's the youngest kids age bracket here at preschool? What do you call that? Kids ministry? Preschool? Okay. People are like, man, I don't know what's going on in preschool ministry, but that's like the hottest place to serve. Man, there's amazing things going on over there. What if we thought about our area less from a how do we, we've got a gap and more from a man, I want to make what we do so irresistible. What if we focused on making our teams irresistible in this next year? What if we said, man, we want to work so hard to ensure that what we do uh, is so incredibly irresistible that people will want to be a part of it. And so there is um, a, a good friend of mine, Christine Kreischer, did a whole, this huge study. And so I'm going to boil down, it's literally like years of research, down into five things. And she found that there are five things that irresistible teams that literally are saying we have to we have stopped recruiting because we we have just too many people. Uh, she found that these have that these five things are uh, in every one of these teams. So I, I want to talk about these five things, and then I want to ask you a question, uh, which is, which area do you think you should work on in in this coming year? So don't think about the five; think about the one of them. But I want to describe each one of them. And again, there's a lot we could talk about here. This is. This is a lot, massive amount of research behind this. So, first slide. 
First one is celebrate their significance. So teams that are irresistible regularly celebrate what their people are doing and how it's connected to the vision. Um, years ago, I remember we were, it was early Sunday morning, and um, we, we had a group of volunteers that came and would clean our building, and, which is amazing. Like, I'm like, that's amazing to me, like that people would volunteer to vacuum the rug at our church. Like, that's crazy. And uh, there was a, a, work, a guy I was working with, and we were meeting early in the morning, and he stopped and stopped one of the volunteers and said, you know, like, the fact that you're here this morning at 7 a.m. vacuuming this up is a, is a big deal. Because you know what? Today, there's going to be some people show up at our church who have never been to church or have been to church in a long time. In fact, their impression of church is that it's like moldy and musty and kind of depressing. But, you know, they're going to show up today and they're going to see the lines that you're putting on this carpet. And they're going to say, wow, this church really takes care of their stuff. This is not like anything else that I've been to before. In fact, it's going to, it's going to operate at this like... Um, kind of subconscious level. They're going to see a bunch of those kinds of details working together, and they're going to walk away and say, church is different than when I, when I was a kid. It's not moldy and musty. And then just walks on. And I was like, dude, that's amazing what you just did there. And, I, and the lesson I took away from that is, man, I need to find ways to consistently celebrate the significance of what our people do and how it connects to the vision. Um, it's not enough just to say, hey, your people are, you're doing a great job. Thank you for vacuuming. That's like, that's 101, celebrate their significance. 201 is celebrate what they did and connect it back to the vision. Say, this is what, you know when, you know, a uh, pastor gets up there and says, this is what we're trying to be as a church? The thing you're doing, let me connect the dots between what you're doing and our vision as a church. Does that make sense? You get that? So the first thing, the people in your teams, if they are, are going to feel like, oh my goodness, this is an irresistible environment, celebrate their significance. All right, number two. Uh, fuel meaningful connections. So one of the things uh, that I've had the privilege of doing is, so throughout the years, um, I had the opportunity to, be, to launch a lot of multi-site campuses. In fact, I actually was in the driver's seat of launching 13 campuses directly and recruited over 1,500 volunteers. And... You know, like I say that, not because I'm trying to be impressive to you, but to say I've made a lot of mistakes. Like I have, you know, I've just done a lot of things wrong. And over time, you do enough wrong things and they call you an expert. Um, but one of the things that I learned was this whole idea of fueling meaningful connections. And it took me probably seven, 800 volunteers before I realized this. So I want to save you the pain from that. People serve in your area because they're looking for relational connection with other people. So they're actually looking for friendship. That, they won't say it like that, but actually what they're looking for is they want to get to know people. They, they, they want friends. They need friends. This was true pre-pandemic. It's doubly true now. Uh, people are looking for community. Now, the problem with this is a bunch of you are, and me, um, we're like vision-oriented, take-the-hill kind of leaders. We're like, it's amazing. We're going to reach all of Alberta. That's we wake up and think that. That's not actually what people think about. They're like, I wonder if I'll make some new friends today. Like, I wonder if I'll get to know their names. And so we have to think about our experience backwards from does this thing actually develop relationships? Are we slowing down enough, not just to do our task, but to ultimately make friends? Uh, will that will that happen for us at Liquid, um, that church I was at in New Jersey? One of the things that we did there that was uh, it was amazing, and I had nothing to do with it, uh, but it is incredible. Except I was a cheerleader from the side. Was if you served with us, um, 
you got to have a meal. You and your family got to have a meal on us at our church, either breakfast or lunch, every Sunday, all year long. Now, that was easy when we were a church of seven or 800 people. Like, that was like, it's just because, you know, we had maybe two or 300 people for a meal. Like, it was fine. When we were like four or 5,000, now they're like six, 7,000 people. You're feeding thousands of people every, every weekend. And the money on that thing is like ridiculous. It's a huge amount of money to do that every single week. Um, but you know what the magic is there? Every Sunday, there's groups of people who are sitting together having a meal, uh, making friendships, making connections. And the, what that does is that bonds them together. That bonds your team closer together. So the kind of practical thing is, what part of your experience has your people engaging with each other, developing relationship, not engaged in the task itself? Now, I know that engaged in the task, whatever it is that your area is doing, is a part of how people develop relationship. Uh, but, but what can we do to make it um, more, more relational? Does that make sense? Questions? Good? Okay, good. Number three, uh, provide first-class support. Provide first-class support. Get them what they need when they need it. Um, has anyone ever had a bad volunteer experience in your life? Uh, is anyone? No, no one here. Everyone has been just positive. I was, when my kids were younger, they were a part of a community. I heard this was interesting. There was a talk this morning about a community plays and stuff like that. So my kids were in a community play. And this particular thing, it was like a volunteer thing, a volunteer-led. And so the, the, the commitment with this thing was if, if your kids are in this, uh, one of the parents have to volunteer in something. And so I was voluntold that I was going to help with the, the like, set building crew, the people that, like, pulled this thing together to make this. Now, I am not handy. Some of you have picked up on that already by looking at me. They're like, that person has a very white shirt. They are not very good at, like, making stuff. Um, and that's true. You, you, if you made that judgment of me, you were true. I, I, I'm not very handy. My dad was very handy. That stuff seems to skip generations. Have you noticed that? Like, my dad's super handy, and then I'm not handy. But then, like, my son, last week, he was home for a day off, and he's like, Dad, I'm going to build a pedal board today. And I found this old wood from the barn, and I'm going to, like, hammer it together and stuff. And I'm like, wow, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, it seems to skip generations. So that's who I am. I'm not very handy. But I was told, you're going to be on the, the volunteer building crew. Now, I showed up for the first meeting of the volunteer building crew, and we're standing around, and they're like, okay, so we're going to build sets. And no one had any idea what we were doing. There wasn't anyone on this team that had a plan. They didn't know what the sets were. Like, literally, they were like, what's the play we're doing? Um, it was a painful, painful experience. Week after week, you know, eventually we figured, so it was like literally the first week was like, does anyone know what we're doing? And it was a bunch of dads, which is probably the problem. Uh, was, and the, at the end of that first meeting, it was like, okay, well, who's going to talk to their wife to find out what's happening? And so we sent this guy away, and then we came back the next week, and he had a plan. Well, it went from, like, painful to bad, uh, and then eventually was, like, mediocrely good over those weeks. The thing that I found that for me was a good... Um, uh, like a, a good living live example for me was the people that were pulled this thing together hadn't provided us with what we needed. They hadn't given us the right tools. They assumed that we just knew exactly what to do. And we do this in the church sometimes. We're like, you know how to lead the grade five boys class, right? You have no idea how to lead the grade five boys class. Does anyone know? Um, and so our job is to get people the right information at the right time. This is critically important in that um, 
this is an area that we should be constantly improving. So this part of what you're doing here is this is a, someone decided we should get these people together and try to develop them. And uh, we'll see if it was helpful that they had me here or not. But I, the other ones for this year have been helpful. But a part of what we're trying to do here is to give you some world-class support. We're trying to help you. We're trying to give you something for, you know, to, to, uh, you know, to make your area uh, even better. But we've got to turn around and do that for other people. So what does that look like? That looks like documentation. That's like, here's a list of things you should do. Here's like what, this is what an average morning looks like. It's like a training video, which could literally be just be like, you walk around with your iPhone the weekend before, and you send it to people and say, hey, this is, this is where you're going to go. It's simple stuff like, what should people wear? People don't know what to wear when they volunteer in an area, so wear the parallel t-shirt. I'm sure you guys have t-shirts. You must have t-shirts. This feels like a t-shirty kind of church. You got t-shirts? Right? You got t-shirts, right? You got t-shirts. Take a per sizable percentage of your budget and spend it on t-shirts. Um, the, uh, yeah, it's giving them, you know, tell them what to wear, all that kind of stuff. So provide world-class support. We could talk more about that. Uh, number five, or number four, next one, uh, empower their passions. Let them lead from their gifts, not from your gaps. Um, and you, again, I'm assuming you do this, uh, but let's just talk about it for a minute. So there's a balance here between we are in the coming years going to reach more people, and that means that we're going to be stretched as an organization. Like there's, there's going to come times where it's like we just, we just need people to help us with this area because it's a growing part of what we're, we need to do. The difficulty is if we always lead out of our gaps, if we're constantly just filling gaps, uh, then everyone is doing things that they're not wired to do. Um, what we have to do is slow down and understand our people, understand their spiritual giftings, understand their personality, and try to place them less by what we need and more by who they are. Um, now, a practical part of this, uh, at our church, we have a thing when people come on, when they onboard into volunteering, I don't know what this looks like for you guys, apologize for that, should have done that research ahead of time. Uh, when, they, when they onboard into a volunteering spot, we give them, we call them concierge because we were fancy like that, but it's a person who is, going to, who is going to track with them through their volunteer experience that's not their team leader. So it's someone, do you have something like this? Okay, what do you call it? Orientation. So during orientation, um, you know, people are going to find out kind of who they are, but if they show up in your area and, you know, you're just so thankful that they're, they're leading. Like, let's say you're the guest services tomorrow. Actually, tomorrow at my church, I take the red-eye flight tonight. This is great. I land at 5.30 in the morning, and then tomorrow morning, I'm volunteering at my church um, on the parking team. I would say I'm not gifted for the parking team, but, but I'm on the parking team. And uh, so I'm going to be standing there parking people. I'm not sure why, what that has to do with what I'm talking about. Um, but... But if I was always on the parking team, I would, I would want someone from the orientation team to come to me and say, do you feel gifted to be on the parking team? Do you feel like you have the gift of holding a sign and being nice to people on the way in? Um, and I probably would say, yes, actually, I kind of like it. It's kind of fun. Um, but what we want to ask people, want to give people, that's hard for me to say to the parking guy, right? The guy who runs the parking team, that's a difficult conversation to say as a, as a leader. That's hard, or as a person that's serving on his team. That's hard for me to say, oh, I actually don't feel gifted in this area. So giving people the relief valve, which means in your area, you will, you will, the, the, the lead, um, the, the, what's the word I'm looking for there? Clearly not finding it. The uh, the, the, open, the more open your hands are with the people that serve in your area, the more people you'll attract to your area. If you grasp tightly to people, none of you would do this, but it's like, you once you're on my team, I'm never letting you go. Um, that reputation gets out there, and no one will ever serve with you. But if you're the kind of person that asks them, 
they've been, you've been serving with us for three months in the grade five boys' room. How's it going? Do you feel like this is really great for you? Um, if it's not great for them, and you know it's not great for them, you know that it's not great for them, and they'd be better on somewhere else, then help them get onto that other team because that's a win for them, and it's ultimately a win for the church. Uh, so have more open hand. Let them lead from their gifts, not from their gaps. We're coming down. Number five. Then I'm going to ask you, what area do you need to develop in? Uh, number five, develop leaders. So uh, everyone needs an apprentice. So the core idea here, the difference on a, a teams that, that are irresistible, where we can stop recruiting and start retaining, where we have the mindset that says, hey, what can I do to develop a place that people want to be a part of? is actually we're just trying to, the way to develop leaders is we're constantly saying, hey, come alongside with me. We're constantly having other people who are saying, hey, join me as I lead. Um, Not a rocket science idea, but actually really hard to, to implement across the entire church. But I would strongly suggest in your area that if you look around and say, I'm the only person leading this area, that your next step would be say, who can I get to come alongside me? I'm going to keep leading, but this person's going to lead with me. I'm going to have them lead alongside. Because you know what? Eventually what's going to happen, you're going to launch a new campus, and you're going to need to send people somewhere else. And that person will have journeyed with you through this experience. Wow, that would be amazing. Uh, Or, you know, your team's going to expand and grow. You're going to add a new service time. You're going to do something, you know, some other kind of expansion. And then, man, you've had this person coming alongside you. Leadership development at its core, its most effective is literally just journeying with an apprentice. That there's every other form, and, and um, you know, Christine's research shows this, every other form is substandard compared to that. We get people into classes, we give them books to read, we say watch this video, all of those things are fine, but actually the best way to develop leaders is to have them apprentice to come uh, alongside you. And so my challenge for you in this last area would be, hmm, if I don't have an apprentice, what do I need to do between now and the fall to get an apprentice? Someone who, and, I, and literally what you say to them is like, hey, I lead this area at the church. I'm wondering if we could do it together. Could we co-lead this area? And maybe for the first six months, I'll do it and you can watch. Like literally, I'll send the emails. I'll send them to you ahead of time. What do you think about this? And then I'll do it and then send it. And then eventually what will happen is uh, you'll do it and I'll watch you do it. Wouldn't that be kind of fun over the next year? Let's try that uh, together, apprenticing. All right, so five traits of irresistible teams. They celebrate their significance, they fuel meaningful connections, they provide first-class support, they empower their passions, and they develop their leaders. Thank you for listening to the Parallel Leaders Podcast. If you're looking for additional resources, tools, and conversations to move your organization forward and capture the hearts of your community, check out parallelleaders.com. And make sure to subscribe to receive each new episode as it's released. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parallel Leaders. We'll see you next time.